Welcome to Deepen with Pastor Joby Martin. The Church of 1122 is a movement for all people to discover and deepen a relationship with Jesus Christ. And we're praying this message helps you deepen your relationship with Him. Now let's dive in. All right, you guys are back. Episode five, we're just over halfway through um, the If the Tomb is Empty series. And we are at the Mount of Temptation, so this will be a fun one. The question here is, with what weapon will you fight the enemy? So we're going to get into it today. But before we fully get into it, right at the beginning of this chapter, Pastor Joby, you talk about that you want people, you know, you can't make people love the Word of God. And you use the example about trying to get your family to love some of the things that you love. Correct. And you specifically mentioned C.S. Lewis and your trip to England. And so I just wanted to, maybe there's another thing that uh, you can't get your family to love, but I also wanted to hear from Charles. Is there something that you love that you have tried to get your family members to love and they just aren't buying it? You know, when I first saw that question, I thought about that a little bit and it's not so much, as I, as I sort of sunk into it, it's not so much that I can't get my family to love what I love, but I felt like the Lord started working on me, and I began looking at it in terms of what does my family love that, I, that maybe I don't love mm. as much. I mean, I mean, really, I've spent, you know, you sent that question, and I, I, I looked at it, and I thought, what, do, what was it? What, like, what does Christy love that I don't, and I'm not trying to just say this to blow snow, but it really started a, like this thing in me where I started asking the question, what, what does my <laughs> wife do that she loves that I don't, what do my kids do that they love that I'm not maybe all that into? And so thanks for wrecking me with that one. <laughs> well, my the list is question. long, if that's the thing. <laughs> Interior design, Fortnite, TikTok. I have a long list of things that my I'm not loving TikTok. And no, no way. No. Well, no. we don't, I don't even allow. I don't have energy for it. Nope. <laughs> okay, so what did you come up with? Well, Christy is a is a gardener. She can take brown dead stuff and plant it and create gardens of beauty. And if you look at our our back porch, it's like when she goes out of town and she asks me to water her flowers, it's like a 45 minute thing <laughs> where you really you walk around and you soak them until it fills up and you go around and I'm pretty sure I don't love I love being with Christy. One of my favorite pictures of her is a is a picture she'd been digging in the dirt all morning and she just like, that's her love language. Just like, let me make something beautiful. And, and she had stopped and she was sitting there resting. And I happened, she wasn't seeing, she wasn't, didn't see me. And I happened to get a picture of just her hands and they're just covered in dirt. And to me, it's this, this beautiful picture of my wife. Mm-hmm. And she's just, you know, it's, it's beauty for ashes. I mean, that's like what she does. And I'm pretty sure I don't, like, I don't, I don't wake up in the morning and say, okay, how can I make this world more beautiful? I'm pretty sure Christy does, mm-hmm. you know? Wow, deep. Mm-hmm. Anything else for you other than C.S. Lewis and your trip to England, which uh, is an amazing story, by the way. Yeah, man, it's cool. Uh, yeah, sweet tea. You know, I've tried to get Gretchen oh, right. to love sweet tea. She doesn't do that. My family has bought into like the whole outdoorsy hunting, fishing. Okay. Um, and I think what's cool is similar to what you're saying. They don't love it like I love it. They love the idea of it. They love me, <laughs> and they love our time, like when we do right. all of that together, you know? Um, but my kids are really getting into hunting, which is super sweet because turkey season has started, and, and both of my children are like, can I please go turkey hunting with you? Wow. And so, That's like your dream. Yes. Yes, no doubt, <laughs> yes. And so there's something to that. Sure. So 
the other end of that, you know, I can't make somebody love what I love, but when they do love what you love, man, there's just like a different level of connection there. Mm-hmm. That's pretty sweet. Does Gretchen go hunting with you? She went one time. Okay. Shot a big mature eight point buck. And then called all of my friends and said, <laughs> "Boys, this isn't even hard. I don't understand what <laughs> and you're has doing." Has never gone again. No, she no. It's incredible. It, so anyway, she talked a bunch of junk. She's like, "I'm not wearing camo," you know, uh, just all the things. So right. she doesn't think it's hard. My husband, his dream is that I would play golf with him, or not even play golf. That I would just ride in the cart. And I just can't. I I cannot do it. I've tried it. I make it like three holes. At one point, I walked. Back, my parents lived near a golf course. I walked back to my parents' house after the fourth hole because it was miserable. <laughs> and so I read that chapter and I just thought, this is so funny. And then vice versa, I try to get him to love Broadway and he's just not into it and I don't get it. And Even I try Hamilton? to sing. He might be able to get into Hamilton, but he just doesn't love the singing and performing, something about that. But I yeah. like eat it up. Okay. Anyway, all right. Moving on, Mount of Temptation. So, is this an actual mountain, the Mount of Temptation? Yeah, it's uh, it's it's just north of Jericho, mm-hmm. and so you can take a cable car ride there today, pay a small fee, mm-hmm. and uh, I like the cable car ride better than hiking your way up there. <laughs> uh, and I'm not sure exactly how you know folks of the past, church historians, realized that that was probably the spot where Jesus was, where he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, but a monastery is built there, and you can go up on this mountain. Uh, the Bible just says he was led into the wilderness, but the wilderness where he was is just full of mountains. Hmm. And so we start with the question, what with what weapon will you fight the enemy? And like we've done in every episode, can you unpack this question a little bit? Why this question? I think... I think the place to start is that you do have an enemy, and it is a fight. Mm. Amen. And um, it's a fight whether you agree it's a fight or not. Man. If you, if you say, it's, I'm not in a fight, it doesn't matter. Your enemy doesn't care. Mm. He's going to wear you out just the same. And you're going to lose. So as uh, Charles and I were working on the next book, and over my sabbatical, I was reading the Gulag Archipelago, and in it, Stolzenitschen, however you say his name, <laughs> says... You've just said many words. I don't know what they are. You Can will. You, what are you reading? <laughs> the Gulag Archipelago was um, this professor in Russia was arrested in the late 30s and sent to the, Gul- the Russian gulags. Mm. And the problem was is that as this tyrannical government started locking down people, little by little by little, the Russian folks just did not put up a fight. Because as they were arresting those people over there, they thought, well, as long as they don't come get me, we're fine. And then one day he was up. And because he was speaking out against Russia in his classrooms, they put him in the gulags, in Mm, the prisons. And so when he gets out of the gulags, he was one of the few people that survived it. Millions and millions of people died in there. And so one of the lines that he says as he's observing the policemen just arrest people, that the the ones that have pre-decided in a fight that violence is necessary will always be the stronger of the two. Now, he's talking about Russian police and regular Mm -hmm. citizens. And the moment I read that, I I was like, Charles, listen to this. The one that has pre-decided that violence is necessary in the fight will always be stronger. If you don't understand that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, if you don't understand that 
that from Genesis 3 until today, there has been a war declared upon you and your family and your children and this nation and your home. And if you're not ready to pick up the sword of the Spirit and put on the very armor of God, you've already lost. Because the one who has predecided that violence is necessary is going to be stronger in the fight. And we just got a whole bunch of people at church, man. They go all the time. And they do not wake up every day knowing that we are at war. Mm-hmm. But the Bible says that the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. If that is true, and since that is true, if there was an actual lion, all right, Allie, if I got a call today before we leave here and I go, Allie, I got some bad news. The zoo called, <clears throat> and a lion got loose. And for whatever reason, he's trying to find you. All right. You would walk to your car differently sure. when we got finished here, exactly. right? Mm-hmm. You would be like, hey, can somebody just stick their head out and see if they see the lion? <laughs> Anybody with check? Somebody with a gun. <laughs> right, totally. Yeah. All right. Well, we do have an enemy that wants right. to kill, steal, and destroy, and it is a war. Yeah. And so with what weapon will you fight? First and foremost, you better realize there's a fight. Do you think it's harder in Western culture to remember that we are at war? Yeah, probably. One of the things I love, going to this story, this event with Jesus and the temptation, it's interesting that it says the, the devil takes him, which I'm like, how does the devil have the right to take Jesus anywhere, but the Son of God allows him to do it? Right. It's another thing. you got to think back. Like, these two have known each other. This is not a, hi, how are you doing, all of a sudden acquaintance. I'm of the camp, and I can't prove it, and there are people who, you know, if you have better theology, great, but I'm of the camp that before Lucifer was cast down, he was one of three archangels that tended to Jesus. Well, he was the archangel that tended to Jesus. No, I can't prove it, but I just, if you look, if you read Ezekiel 28 or 36 or wherever it is, what it talks about the fall of Lucifer, I think he was, he was in the throne room with God. He walked on the fiery stones. I think he led worship in heaven. Hmm. Jesus and Lucifer knew each other well. Well, Jesus he will says later he say, saw it. Saw it cast down like right. lightning. So he was there when the Father cast Lucifer hmm. out of heaven. So when they show up and there's this temptation in the desert, these two know each other Hold and on, they know each other. But, but you got a couple of, um, we've never talked about this, but I'm, I'm in your camp because. Uh, I think it's Ezekiel 28 that talks about the bright morning star and mm-hmm. how he is created, you know, mm-hmm. like, and it and it's hard to determine if he's actually, like, made of these gemstones or if he's wearing these gemstones. And Lucifer's job mm-hmm. was to reflect the light in heaven, and then through reflecting and refracting that light, people saw that, the, the angels saw that light and gave glory to God. Well, when you go New Testament, who's sitting on the throne? I know there is one God in three persons, but it's the King of Kings that is on the throne. Therefore, Jesus would have been on the throne, and the primary worship leader, Lucifer, was the one right there going, you shine the light, I'll refract it. But he he gets really into everybody looking at him. Correct. Mm -hmm. Instead of looking through him to see the source of light, he gets really... And so then... So then he gets so full of himself, he goes, no, 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 I want that seat. Mm-hmm. I want you see that in Ezekiel 28, yeah. I think it's 28, too, yeah. where he says five times, I will, right. I will reach up, I will do, and, he, and you see the contrast between Lucifer, I will five times, contrasted to Jesus who did not think equality something with God, mm-hmm. something to be, 
equality with God, something to be grasped, but humbled himself Mm -hmm. and took on the form of a man. So Lucifer reached up and fell. Jesus bowed down and the Father lifted him up. But by the time we meet him, also, I think Lucifer's name means like the bringer of the dawn or something, the announcer of the dawn or something. There's some sort of translation like yeah, that. Morning which, star. Yeah. It's his job every day to announce, here's Jesus. And I agree with you. I think he got tired of everybody looking at Jesus, and I think he wanted worship and praise. Correct. And, and that's what he was... I still think he wants worship and praise, which is what we see in the temptation. Correct. When they show up. So I think the point I'm trying to make is I think they know each other pretty well. And it's not a new thing. It's not like they've got to make introductions. Correct. And the beauty that I love in this, and you've taught on it a bunch, is despite the fact that they know each other really, really well, and Jesus fashioned Lucifer, and however that happened, Mm -hmm. Lucifer thinks he has something that Jesus either wants or he can give Jesus. Now, Lucifer is the prince of the power of the air. He has been given a measure of authority, and he does say, I give it to whom I will. So he has something that was given to him by the Father, which he seems to like skip over in the whole Mm. temptation thing. But he meets Jesus with, did God say, sort of the whole lie thing, and... Jesus' response is to never engage him in conversation. So with what weapon will you combat your enemy? Jesus never reasons with the, with the enemy. He never like okay. engages him in conversation. He immediately drops into Deuteronomy. I think it's Deuteronomy 8, then Psalm 91, then Deuteronomy 6. I could have it wrong, correct me. But all he does is quote the word that he gave Moses 1,500 years prior. That's right. He doesn't ever say anything else. All he does is quote scripture. Mm. So I'm I read that and I'm I'm left with this thing and I'm pointing at my Bible is living and active. Right. It is sharper than a double-edged sword. It divides joints and marrow and soul and spirit. It judges the thoughts and the intentions. When we're reading this thing it's reading us. Mm. That's good. It, it, the, the, why do we not Memorize that to the extent that when my enemy comes at me, all I'm doing is speaking the word. Why don't I speak Psalm 91 into my circumstances? Mm -hmm. Why don't I cry out, call on me in the day of trouble and I will deliver you and you will glorify me? Why don't we, and I know we are weak in our flesh, me too, I get it. Welcome to planet Earth. But (laughs) the thing I get from this and the thing that, I mean, I, th- I don't remember where we, maybe we were sitting in the tavern working on this one, but the idea that we have been given the word, grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Man can't live on bread alone, but every worth that proceeds from the mouth of the Father is not my word like a fire, like a hammer that breaks a rock in pieces. I have hidden your word in my heart so that I might not. Why don't we take that? And shove it in the face of our enemy because if it was good enough for Jesus, right? How can we improve on that? It's good. All right. So in the book, you you have a quote, um, and I, I feel like I read this quote and took a really big, deep breath exhale. You say, "But when you surrender your life to Jesus, chances are about one hundred percent that you'll still have struggles." And temptations and sin, because we know it doesn't get it doesn't just become easy street when we surrender. And you even talk about it's 
it seems like the temptations, the things you struggled with way back when you were a teenager are still the same things, maybe in a slightly different form, but the same things that we struggle with now, which can be incredibly infuriating, but also comforting to know that this, that, that is, that is the way it is for most people. So let's unpack that a little bit. Um, why is it that we still seem to struggle with the same things over and over again? So a part of what you got to look at is you've got to look at the nature of your justification. So like what happened when you said, I admit it, I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. I believe when you died on the cross, that counted for me. Jesus, I confess you as Lord. According to the Scriptures, in that moment, the scales fell off of your eyes. The Holy Spirit wooed you unto himself. God has chosen you. He foreknew you. He predestined that that moment was going to happen. He has already paid the price for you, and you surrender. And so the Bible says that in that moment, God is ripping out your heart of stone and replacing it with a heart of flesh, but it's his heart, not yours. Your eternity is changed forever. You have a new heart. You have a new nature. All those things are true, but you have the same mind. You still have the same like birth order. You still have the same Enneagram number. You still have the same personality. It's not like when God saves you, everybody's a perfect 10 on the Enneagram. You know, there's no such thing. But you know, it's that. So you've still got this same mind, and the enemy knows that. The enemy knows what you struggle with, knows what you idolize. He knows you. He's been doing this for since Genesis 3. And so he knows the lures and temptations that he can throw at you and what works and what doesn't work. And so the key is, is this is why Paul is going to say that we've got to renew our mind, that, that God's not just going to sprinkle obedience dust on us and then all of a sudden everything changes, right. that sanctification is progressive. That means that we're, I mean, that there's some really good news there. The frustrating thing with progressive sanctification is we're not there yet. Mm-hmm. But the really grace-filled thing is, but God's not done with us. So no matter where you are, God's continuously conforming you through the likeness of His Son, primarily through the renewal of your mind. And what that means is the enemy, it's very important to understand, though Satan and Jesus are well aware of each other, these are not equal and opposite opponents. No. This is not World War II. <laughs> this is not two superpowers or even the Cold War or any war like this. <clears throat> this is not like one big nation attacking another big nation, and it's like a big chess match, and they're not sure what the other one's going to do. It's not as if Jesus is responding to the enemy, and he's like, oh, no, they're really taking ground now. Um, the enemy is described in the book of Revelation as a dragon with a mortal head wound. But on his way down, he's still kind of flailing around, making a mess. All right. So Jesus has one. The enemy already knows it. And so it seems to me the primary way that the enemy works is really a misinformation campaign. It's much closer to a lot of the way we see, um, at least in the past decade, the way wars are waged Mm -hmm. against the United States of America. Okay? It's kind of weird to talk about war right now because there's a lot going on. But you can't just poke the bear. You can't just say, here we come, all right? Everybody found out in World War II, not going to be good for you if you do that. So what do you do, man? It's a misinformation campaign. It's it's literally bot farms in Russia 
just flooding social media with a bunch of misinformation to get people to be like, so what is real? I don't even can't even figure out what reality right. is. It's that kind of thing. And so what the enemy does is come with the whispers, comes with the lies, comes with the think about the two two of the primary things we talked about in Genesis three. The enemy starts with, did God really say? Mm-hmm. So he wants us to question the word of God. <clears throat> he goes to Jesus in in the wilderness and says, if you are the son of God, it's the same thing, man. He knows he can't walk up to Jesus, punch him in the nose and say, you work for me. Right. So he has to start by having him question his identity. And then, and, and that's what he's trying to do. And here's the thing to think about. I think, I think Satan thinks it might work because he's such a good liar. He convinced a third of the angels mm-hmm to follow him. Mm-hmm. He's really good at it. Mm-hmm. So if you think <laughs> you're going to just on your own willpower stand before him and say, get out of my face, it, it'll never work. Right. There's a few things that you can go at with willpower. I don't know. It could be for some people, it could be a diet. For some people, it could be like, I'm going to start getting up early. There's some things that are a will issue and you can just will your way mm-hmm. through it. But a spiritual attack of the enemy is not one. There is, there is a weapon against him, and it is the Word of God. Look, just a few weeks ago, I'm standing at church, and this lady comes up to me, and she says this. She says, I grew up in the Catholic Church. I've been coming here for however long. And, um, like, Catholic guilt's a thing, man. And she goes, will I ever get over the Catholic guilt? Mm. And so she asked me to sign her book, and so I did, and I just wrote Romans 8, 1 in the top of it. Therefore, now there is no, no. condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And Period. I said, you write this on your mirror, okay? You just stick it up on your mirror. And every single time the enemy tries to get that little whisper, I just want you to say out loud, therefore, now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And eventually, over time, your feelings will catch up with the truth of the Word of God. Mm -hmm. And so that's what you're doing. That's good. Let's get a little personal here. Sweet. (laughs) (laughs) As we do. Because I can read this, and, you know, we see the enemy say, did God really say? And I think about my life, and... I can't pinpoint something where I'm, I feel like it's, it's the enemy saying, did God really say? But when I boil down the temptation, that is at the root of it. But it looks different on the surface level. Um, whether it's, whether someone struggles with alcoholism or, um, sexual immorality, they may not be, the temptation may not be, did God really say, honor your body? Um, they probably look at it as, it's this, well, you talk about the lure, like the shiny thing, and they're, they know that it's tempting, but they aren't connecting it to the identity piece that did God really say this about you? Um, and so I just, I would love to hear, like, what are your whispers that where the enemy tries to lie to you in his misinformation campaign? Oh, I'm, I'm going first on that one. You're going first. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> Respect my elders. Oh, thank you. Appreciate that. <laughs> Anytime I 
like this morning, I, I, I'm starting to work on another novel. I was up early. It's dark. And it's the beginning of another book. And books don't write themselves. And, they're, and if I'm not careful, the enemy will whisper all of the lies that he's whispered in 20-some years of my career now about the end product and how, what good is it? What use is it? It's not going to do what you've hoped or prayed and there's still going to be critics and people. I quit reading reviews a long time ago, mm. you know, for that very reason. And I can have a hundred five-star reviews and I have one three-star and somebody rakes me over the coals and I spend three days simmering, you know what I mean? Right. So the whispers that, The, the whispers of the lies from the enemy talking about what will happen. The, 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 enemy, the enemy knows your history. He doesn't know your future. All he can show you is the rearview mirror. Mm. Um, so he, listening to those whispers, and it's the same thing when I, when I speak or I'm invited to speak or I teach or whatever. The enemy m- wants to poke at a couple of things. You've said this 15 times. They haven't heard you yet. They're not going to get it, which is one of the things I love about him because I know he hears that whisper. He is standing up in front of thousands every week, and sometimes we get it and sometimes we don't, and it has seems to have very little effect on his delivery. <laughs> He's still there every week just slinging it, and, you know, and I love that about him, but I hear that. And I think the, I've said this before, but the curse of this age is a two-sided coin. One side is indifference, the other side is resignation. And the enemy wants to use both of those. He wants us to be indifferent to the Lord, His promises, His calling, His words specifically, our identity. I think we see this in the age of kids that we're looking at. They are just flat out indifferent Mm. because they feel like if I'm indifferent, if I don't feel, you can't hurt me. Mm. Because if I show any joy or any expression, you can use that against me. The second thing is this resignation where we agree with the the lies of the enemy, where it didn't work the first time, it's never done any good, it's not going to change. Whatever the lies are that the enemy whispers to you or me, and we resign ourselves that, wow, that must be true because my circumstances agree with it. Well, let's go back to Mariah. Abraham could have resigned himself. Mm-hmm. Sarah could have resigned him, herself over 20-something years, and they didn't. So, I don't know. Personally, I, I have to... And it's not a willpower thing. It's the, you know, it is God who works in us to will and to act according to His good purpose. It is the Spirit of God in me that wakes me up when it's dark, and I get up, and I want to be in His Word, and I... I try and pour that in, and I try to like, Lord, what what is this? Like, sear this on my soul, so that when the enemy comes at me, this is what I what is this is what I retreat to. That the stake in the ground in me is your word branded on my heart. Mm-hmm. Like I've prayed that. Like I forget what it was. It's the the book called Heavenly Man, brother. Chew or I, I can't remember. It's one. Of, it's one of my favorite books. And before you read any of mine, you should just go read the Heavenly Man because it just shredded me. But it's a story about a man who was imprisoned in China, started the house church movement. But he talks about of all the prisoners that he was with in, in prison, the ones who made it are the ones who had memorized the word, mm-hmm. so that when their torturers came and they're plucking off fingernails and toenails and 
whatever they're doing to them, they're speaking the word of God to their torturers. Wow. Personally, I pray that we get there. Yeah, right. Yeah, I have no doubt. Um, I think that you ask, what are the whispers? What are, we, what are the temptations in our life? Uh, the list is long, which is crazy. <laughs> Um, a couple for me uh, is the whisper of condemnation unfit for use based on your past and a lot of that has to do uh, I talk about getting saved at camp uh, and one of the reasons that I am obsessed with the people at our church getting into disciple groups immediately is that was not the case for me right? because I get saved at this camp and it's a long way from where I live and so I meet Jesus as my Savior. There's no discipleship or accountability kind of relationships when I get back home. And that led to this super duplicitous life for years and years and years where there was one version of me in front of this group and a completely different version of me in front of another group. And the enemy loves to just bring that back. And so at this point in my life, I would say that's not true in regards to the big things, you know, sex, drugs, rock and roll, faithfulness to my wife, all those kinds of things. But even just like my thoughts and desires, when I don't get up and just can't wait to get in the Word, mm-hmm. but just dink around watching hunting shows on TV and or, you know, those kind of things, and then Thursday comes and the enemy is like, who do you think you are? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're going to talk about being gripped by a greater affection? Yeah, right. And that dude, it just, here it comes. Another one, <clears throat> you know, I talk about it all the time, right, in First John that that the only things that the enemy can throw at you are the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the pride of life. You see it in Genesis 3. You see it here in the Mountain of Temptation. And, man, I can talk myself into that I deserve to feel a certain way in about one second. Mm. Like I can serve my butt off at church, preach my face off at church, pray for a whole bunch of people, get home, and then feel like those three people who I've been put on this planet to serve, and somehow in my mind, just like this, I think these people are here to serve me. I mean, so fast. Mm -hmm. And instead of being the husband and the dad that I am supposed to be, I can just immediately go and sit down and justify why I'm just going to have a little bourbon, watch a stupid show, and I deserve this. Mm -hmm. And dude, that that ain't from the Father. Mm -hmm. Let me, sh- let me, I'm a, I may be walking on thin ice here, okay? But I, like, there are things I know about you that I don't write and I don't share because there are things that don't need to be, and it's not any, any moral failure or anything. It's just things sure. that are, we're close and we're brothers and they, they're not, they shouldn't be in a book. But let, let me, let me answer from my standpoint a little bit of how he counters the whispers and, and in some ways pain. Uh, last fall, we're in Nebraska. We're hunting. Um, it's a it's a hard like sabbatical is supposed to be this refreshing soul. I don't know his sabbatical was a gut punch probably if you yeah, ask him. Probably awful. probably not all that. He comes back from Scotland. Brad Bowen has just died. He's in a rough place, and we end up in Nebraska. And um, I mean, he's just he's heartbroken and he hurts. I don't know how else to tell you. Okay. And uh, we, 
we got up early and we went hunting and he was just kind of quiet. He listens to worship music every morning when he gets up. He's got this playlist. It's a combination of some old rock and roll and some worship music. And there's some great U2 in there and some fun stuff. (laughs) And then just, and he sings and you hear him getting ready and he's singing. And so we go out and hunt. We hunt till about 11 or something and we come back and, and he's, he's different. His countenance is different. And I'm like, what's up? Like what? You remember this? I do. Now that you, yeah. And uh, I didn't know where you were going, but yeah. Can I tell that? Sure, hundred um, <laughs> percent. Because we're there now. Because it's a little late yeah. if you tell me no. <laughs> and he he said, uh, yeah, I just needed I needed to I needed to be with the Lord, so I I um I just went to church. And he said, I I, I put together a worship playlist with three songs, and then I had three scriptures. And so I got in the stand and I listened to the worship and I just kind of like slowly worshiped. And then when it came time for the reading of God's word, I, I stood up and I, I, I whispered the word aloud to the woods. Mm. And I want you to like visualize that. Right. He's in the middle of Nowheresville, Nebraska. <laughs> He's not in front of 15,000 people. And yet his heart's cry is to still herald the mm. gospel. He, he speaks the scriptures, and then he sits down and puts in his ear pods and listens to something his heart needed to hear, a sermon that he had preached because his heart's broken about Brad. Mm. And then he listens to that sermon and ends it with worship, standing in the tree stand, worshiping. And I'm, I, I know I'm, maybe I'm flirting a, a, a fine line there, sharing things about him that I know, but... Like when people ask me like about Joby, I've never told that story, but he's in front of a lot of people. And I would imagine there are a lot of whispers. And the last year, there's been some, some poignant pain. Mm. And in my experience, to his great credit, because of the mercy and the grace of God, how I have seen him deal with that has not been bourbon binging. Mm. It's been to press into this word and speak it out loud over his circumstances and his life and his heart. And I cannot tell you the encouragement that that has been to me. So good. It's good. A couple weeks ago when we were talking about um, idols and we had a moment where I was sharing that as a new mom, I struggle with the idol of information. And you kind of poked in it a little bit, Pastor Joby, which I appreciated in front of all these people listening, and said there's actually probably something deeper. Yeah. And um, so, you know, we're in Lent right now. We have Hour of Prayer on Wednesdays. And um, I came into Hour of Prayer and after that and just kind of got on my knees and ask the Lord to show me, like, what is it that I'm holding on to? Or what is the enemy, what tactic is he using? Because this is new for me. Like this, I can recognize the whispers of condemnation from, you know, my past. And and I, can, I recognize those things, but this thing is new for me. And it became really obvious that it's fear. And I've never been a fear-based person. And because the Holy Spirit is 
who he is, he revealed to me in that hour of prayer that I don't believe that God loves my daughter more than I love her. And so mm. what does that, how does that play out? Mm. The enemy is using fear, misinformation, fear that her health or her well-being or what she turns out like, all of these things that I need to do all of this in my own willpower. And it was freeing and scary because I'm now faced with this new temptation that is to go and operate in my own flesh and blood to be a mom but also the freedom knowing that, okay, I can name it. Like now I can name it. And that was really hard for me because I don't like thinking that I'm a fearful person because that's just never been something I resonate with. But now I feel, I feel way more equipped to go to the word of God and look at, okay, Psalm 23, I will fear no evil or first Timothy. I am not given a spirit of fear. I'm given yeah. a spirit of power and love and self-control. And I feel even just in the past couple of weeks, way more equipped as I learn how to be a mom and as everything is constantly changing and I feel like I'm learning so many things every second and having to make so many decisions, I'm operating out of a way different place because of that. So, A, thank you for poking in that um, and then what the Lord, where he led me in that. But two, can we talk about the, the, the flip side that there is freedom in being able to name your temptations yeah, man. Well, let me give you another one. Let's dig in on your uh, oh, okay. motherhood stuff here. <laughs> <clears throat> I was doing a men's conference a few weeks ago in North Carolina, and I'm sitting on stage with some giants, which is always a bit intimidating. And John Tyson's to my right. He wrote Intentional Father. Brian Loritz is to my left. He wrote a, a book on fatherhood, and J.D. Greer's asking the questions, right? <clears throat> and we're talking about parenting. And so one of the guys, I guess... It doesn't matter. I think Loritz brought it up. In Luke chapter 15, in the story of the lost son that we call the prodigal son, what did the dad do wrong? The answer's got to be nothing because the dad is God in the parable. He did nothing wrong. He didn't abuse his kids. He didn't neglect his kids. He was intentional in his fatherhood for sure. He did everything right, and neither of his kids turned out the way that he hoped they would. He's 0 for 2, man. One of them's a prodigal and, and squanders away everything he had in wild and reckless living. Praise God, he came back. And then the one that followed all the rules didn't even, didn't even love his brother enough to come to his brother's party. <laughs> and so that's simul- and not parent teenagers right now. So that was simultaneously terrifying and unbelievably freeing. Mm, yeah. You know? That's good. To know that that was the example of what a dad looks like. Right. According to Jesus in Luke. So so even if you do everything right, it's still no guarantee right. <laughs> your kid turns out, man. Yeah, yeah. Great. Right? <laughs> For sure. But that kind of stuff matters. It, it matters like crazy. One of the things, um, I will tell you, I love the Word of God. I love it, I love it, I love it. And, w- and when the Bible says about itself, it's living and active, you are experiencing that as a mom right now. Mm-hmm. Because one year ago, the same verses... Just hit you differently. I'm not saying they are different, Mm -hmm. but the Spirit of God gives you exactly what you need when you need it. If you've ever learned anything from the Bible, it is a fulfillment of the prophecy of Jesus when he says, I am sending you a helper, and he will teach you everything. Well, that's how you learn it. And so when you become a parent, all the, like that story in the Bible is not about a prodigal son anymore. It's It's about a loving parent. No doubt, man. Mm -hmm. And so that, that's why we've got to cling to it. 
And uh, you, you are right. I mean, I, um, I've been through some times this year, you know, and a part of, a part of, man, a part of the gut punch is when you're not ready for it. Mm. And you get all, like, yeah, you have these, these ideas of what a sabbatical are going to be. You know, it's going to be me and Jesus skipping through the <laughs> lilies in the hills of Scotland, and that's not what happened. And um, I've never felt the need for worship and word like then. It's hard to explain. I never questioned God, and, and I'm not saying that as like a brag or a humble brag. That's just not where my mind and heart right. went. Man, I cried and cried and I cried out, but <clears throat> I needed to be with at church. Uh, my intention and what people had told me I was supposed to do on a sabbatical is you should like, don't go to the church you work at because people will try to make you work. And dude, I'm telling you, when it hit the fan, I needed to be with our people. Right. I needed to sing the songs. I needed to hear the word. I don't even care what it was. Thankfully, by God's provision, he knew. I was talking to JP about it last night. Uh, and JP said, man, did the Lord know what he was doing? And, and JP says, this is a terrible thing to say, but it was perfect timing. Because you had all your friends lined up to preach and you didn't have to preach. Mm. So I needed to hear the word. I needed to pray the prayers. All I can think about is I got to get down there to that altar. Yeah. And so the... <clears throat> The day you're talking about in Nebraska, we were there over a Sunday, and I thought, I got to go to church, man. And so I just put together a little church on my phone and just had church. Love that. And stood when we were supposed to stand, and at the end when we kneel, I climbed down to the to the bottom of my stand and just made it a little altar. And, um, the three most important words ever spoken in eternity are, it is finished. The three most important words between now and then, is it is written. It's mm, good. And so you better have some it is written in your life to help you get through. I want to talk about that it is written, but I also want to say for anyone, you know, watching or listening, that church isn't in the building. It You can put together. We do the same thing. If, if people haven't picked up on it, we pretty much do the same thing every week. We yeah. sing three songs, we open the Word of God, and then we respond. Right. And so I think it's... I feel I feel that there may be some people hearing that for the first time that they don't have to wait for a Thursday night or a Sunday. There is something different when God's people are gathered together. For sure. Um, sure. It matters. And I don't want to take anything away from that, but I do think there is so much power in setting an environment for yourself to just take it in. And it doesn't just mean reading, it means doing church on your own. Right. Super cool. Okay, so let's talk about the it is written. So we've talked about the enemy, his tactics. You talk about he's only got three things. They're powerful, and they'll wear you out for sure, but it's all he's got. Right. Um, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. So let's just talk about those three really quick, and then we'll talk about how we combat that. So give us like your elevator pitch of the three lies. Well, you nailed it. Uh, lust of the flesh is this desire to feel lust of the eyes is a desire to have and the pride of life is a desire to be and so I, you want to get good at identifying it just sit down in every commercial that comes on television you can just identify which of the three they're trying to sell you it's a great exercise right yeah and sometimes they're not actually trying to sell you a car they're trying to sell you a mode of being 
Um, remember when McConaughey was selling Buicks, right? And he's yeah. driving around like, all right, all right, all right, <laughs> doing that thing. That, that what that is saying is not just because they didn't say anything about the car. They didn't say anything about it's faster, it gets better gas mileage. Like, they just put him in there. It like, was nothing like you have to have this. It was like if I drive that, I will be as centered <laughs> in this world as the coolest man on the planet. That's what they're selling. And they sold it, I'm no sure. No doubt. No doubt. So Christy's like, we need that car. <laughs> right. So when you can begin to identify what the I, – I can tell you, man, like – um. Lust of the flesh. A lot of times when people hear lust of the flesh, they don't think about it's a desire to feel. They just hear the word lust and flesh and think that's about sex. For sure, it's one of them. But it is easier for me to know that when I hop on an airplane and I decide to choose a movie. And as a 48-year-old, happily married man, my eyes go to that movie that's got some fleshly, lustful things in it. I'm just telling you. I'll go, you ain't getting me like that. (laughs) Like it just makes, he's, when he gets me is when I'm not paying attention. And, and he lures me step by step. This is what James is going to say, man. He's like, he's like, the problem is when temptation, you're lured away by temptation. It's not sin yet. It's just a luring of temptation. And then it gives birth to death. And so before you get to the death part, before you get to the kill, steal, and destroy, pay attention. Right. And then, man, have some wisdom about this. Like, it, depending on what the thing that the enemy typically throws at you, you need to have some serious accountability in your life. You ought to put up some serious guardrails in your life. You ought to have some serious filters on your phone, some conversations with your spouse, all of those kinds of things, knowing one of the things I ask our pastors all the time is this. If you were the devil, how would you try to take you out? That's a great you question. should pay very close attention to that mm-hmm. and war against that. Right. And so like you said, Allie, you've got some new temptations because hopefully there's a season of your life where you've got some real victory in these areas mm-hmm. and then something changes in your world. And so the enemy's like, same fundamental temptation, right. but now I'm going to come at you. Yeah, in this incredibly area. annoying to be honest. Because oh, for sure. you kind of feel like you you have a good handle on things, and then here he is again with the next shiny thing that you're like, there it is. Yeah, no doubt. You look ready to share something. You have your Bible open, and I'm ready to receive it. I put on my glasses, so it must be serious. <laughs> we know oh, it's boy. serious. <laughs> you're talking about it's the what are the it is written, and there, we've been talking a lot lately about. Obviously, if the tomb is empty, then anything is possible, and it is, and that is absolutely true. And the, 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 as I was reading Ephesians, for some reason, I've been stuck in Ephesians one for about a year, and I can't get past it. I, I can't wrap my head around everything that the Lord does for us there. But there's a reason anything is possible, and this is what Paul says. He's, he's talking about I, I never cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my, you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. I pray this over my boys. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. And then it says, and. So we, we talk a lot about the empty tomb. And yes, it is absolutely empty, and Jesus is not there. But the question then comes, 
well, where is he? <laughs> and why is anything possible? Okay, well, because, and seated him, meaning Jesus, at his, meaning the Father's right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule, authority, power, and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the, the church. Jesus spent 30 years in private life, about three and a half years in public ministry, and since then, he has spent 2,000 years in intercession for us. And one of the things I love about this is Scripture says he is seated. Hmm. He is our high priest, seated. If you look at the Levitical priests, there was no seat in the temple or the tabernacle. There's no place to sit down because their work was never finished. Hmm. When he said to Telestai, he was not kidding. I love the fact that he is right this moment seated at the right hand of God the Father. And he has the Father's ear. He says, knock, ask me. It is my great delight to answer your prayers. And we have access, because of the shed blood of Jesus, into the throne room, Revelation 19, we have access to the place where all the decisions about any decisions are made. The reason anything is possible for us who love God called according to his purpose is not just because we can walk into an empty place and say he did at some point rise again because yes he did absolutely but he went somewhere mm. that somewhere is the right hand of the ancient of days Amen. and he is seated there right this minute bending the father's ear on our behalf That's so good man as you're saying that i'm thinking about a recent conversation i had with one of my children where we were disciplining them because of their own poor decision making. Okay. <clears throat> and and I know sometimes as believers, life just happens to you. Like, you know, everything's not up and to the right, right? And we don't follow Jesus because he makes life better, but because he's better than life. But if you follow him, life is typically better. Sure. And I say to one of my kids, if you would just do what we say, <laughs> if you would just make wise decisions, your life would be amazing. I mean, the freedom you'd have, the, and I am saying this, and the Lord is just going, Whoa, okay, say it again, say it again, say it again. If you would just do what I say, That's right. if you would just make wise decisions, then all of this, the freedom that you would have, and I, so I actually had to then confess to my kid That's right. that I get it. I get the struggle. Right. I feel like there are a lot of people listening or joining in for the sermon series that are either newer believers or they're just kind of making their way back to Jesus. And I can imagine they're looking at the Bible and and in their head they think, yes, I understand that the word of God is going to help me battle these things, but I just don't even know where to start. What can you offer those people? Where do they start? Google. <laughs> like I am not kidding. Yeah. At all. If you, there are so many great websites out there right now. If you just Google Bible verses about, you know, and just whatever the thing is, whatever your temptation is, your struggle, whatever, BibleGateway.com is another place you can just put a word in and it will show you every verse that contains that word. You mentioned fear. Mm -hmm. There's at least 366 versions or times in the King James, at least, that says, don't be afraid. 
If you're struggling with fear, you should memorize some of those kinds mm-hmm. of things. You don't have to over-spiritualize it. You don't have to be like, dear God, I'm going to trust that you're going to send me to the verse. He has already answered your prayer. Right. Just Google it. It's good. And I think the more specific, the better. The more specific, the better. If you are struggling because you are discontent with the situations that you find yourself in and there's this gnawing there, then you should open your Bible to the book of Philippians and see where Paul says, I have learned the secret of being content in every situation. That's good. Sometimes there's certain words that I look for, you mm. know? Yeah. That um, <clears throat> when I would... When I would have these anxious thoughts, you know, anxiety is really just it's just misplaced worry. Like worry is when you when you really don't trust the sovereignty of God and you put it on a specific circumstance. Mm-hmm. Anxiety is where you have no place to put that thing, so you just put it in mm-hmm. here and it works everything. Uh, you know, it just mm-hmm. it's misplaced, and so and so I would look in the scriptures, and Paul says, "Be anxious for nothing, but by prayer and supplication make your request known to Him." And the God of peace who transcends all understanding will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. And so the moment then you begin to feel that anxiety rising, you say, I think it's important to do it out loud. Mm. Out loud. You declare, I'm going to be anxious for nothing. Even if you're anxious while you're saying it. That's not the point. Eventually, the Word of God is more powerful than your feelings. Fact. And feelings make a terrible God. They're a great tool to navigate life. They make a terrible God. They will lie to you all the time. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And so you just declare out loud. Jesus does not like when the enemy comes to him and says, if you are the son of God, turn this rocks to bread. He doesn't go unspoken prayer request. That's not what he does. (laughs) He out loud declares. There's something about it. Think about it. This is how God created everything. There's nothing. And God speaks into existence everything that is. And so I'm not saying name it and claim it for like Buicks and you know, dates with McConaughey, I'm talking about you declare the very word of God out loud. You want God to answer your prayers? Just pray his word. Start with the prayers that started in heaven and just right. say these words. That's great. And then maybe not overnight, but over time, like you wake up every day and you look in the mirror, you don't like what's looking back. All right, you need to learn you some Psalm 139, 14. Mm-hmm. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And then my favorite part of that verse is towards the end of it when when he says, I know that full well, right? Your works are wonderful. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I put him in some like little commentary. I'm one of those works. Mm-hmm. I know that full well. And you're like, Lord, I don't feel like I know that full well, but you said I can know yeah. that full well. That's really good. That's where you go. I'll give you my answer, which, which is the answer he can't give you, okay? Because I'm going to be talking about him just a minute. <laughs> But he said, you have Google. I would, I would encourage you. There's so much content that he's preached throughout 20 years. And let me just give you one example. My brother-in-law, Hugh Harvey, lives in Jacksonville. He owns Harvey Jewelers. Um, one of my favorite people on the planet. Taught my kids to, to ski and all that sort of stuff. Um, water ski and, you know, all that. Wakeboard. Anyway, he and, his, he and my sister-in-law, Cindy, have gone to CFC, just a great, a great church in Jacksonville for years. But Hugh has like a 25 or 30-minute commute every morning. And we'd started going to 1122, and he'd heard about Joby, and we'd been talking about him. So he said, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just check him out. And he said, but I want to start at the beginning. So literally, 
Hugh goes to the first, he gets the app, downloads the app, which I would recommend that you do. And then he goes to the sermons and goes back in time because you just scroll down to the bottom. And there's the very first sermon series. One of them, I think, is church people right there at the very beginning. I can't remember. Yeah, we did the book of Acts for the first 18 months, All right. verse by verse. So he starts there, and then he just starts digging it and works his way through. And he said the first time he did it, it took him about a year. Now it takes him about a year and a half because there's more content. I think he's made it through all of your sermons now three times. Wow. But he knows them better than I do. The other day I was trying to figure out where there was – I was working on the book, the book two, trying to figure out where there was the story of you talking about something. I literally asked Hugh, <laughs> where's that? And he told me – not only did he tell me the sermon series and the week, he could tell me within the number of minutes. Wow. So – I would like you can feed yourself with people who know the word better than you do, and okay. Joby is one of them. He is not the only one. There are like I, I love Robert Morris. I, I, I'll go listen to Robert Morris. I go get to find him on YouTube and what is it, Gateway Church out Gateway, in yeah. Gateway? I listen to him all the time. Love him. There are folks like that. Joby just happens to be one of them who I love a lot. But anyway, Hugh is a great example of somebody who's figured out how to access the content, and it's like. It's now fuel. It's now, yeah. I think it's in there. So good. Well, this has been an incredibly fruitful conversation. I thank you both so much. Next week, we're headed to the Mount of Transfiguration, which I don't know if you can have favorite mountains, but it's kind of my favorite in the book. Um, so thank you so much. Charles, will you pray for us as we end our time together? Lord Jesus, we love you. We praise you for this day, Father. We thank you that in your word, I think it's Revelation 12, it's, it says that they overcame him, meaning Satan, by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony, and they did not love their life unto the death. So Lord, I pray that our testimony, which is your spoken word, would be so on our lips, and that when the enemy does come prowling like a roaring lion, and the whispers are raging in our ears, and the doubts come like a tsunami, that, Father, what we fall back on is your spoken word. And that it is, and that we, we take it, and that it, it is more true than our circumstances. While our circumstances may rage and roar, you are unchanging. You were on the throne yesterday. You were on the throne today. And you will be there tomorrow. Father, we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name.